The Memorial Golf Tournament is held every year in Murfield. The course is 220 acres of sprawling grass, sand pits, and water hazards. 18 holes, totaling a par 72, were designed by the legendary Jack Nicklaus in 1976. It draws thousands to a little suburb just north of Columbus, Ohio, every year. The problem is, this idyllic place was built on top of a Native American grave. But not just any Native American. Chief Leatherlips was a fierce warrior whose hatred of the white man was unmatched. The act of making his sacred resting place a circus where people drank and swore where no one ever respected the land they stood on caused the great chief to curse the frivolity from beyond the grave. And no amount of tribute will appease him. No amount of tobacco, alcohol, food, jewelry, or anything placed on top of the site where he rests will stop the skies from opening up, drenching the players and the onlookers alike from head to foot. Welcome back to ANA's Tall Tales. I'm Amanda. And I'm Andrea. And this week we are talking about Chief Leather Lips and the curse of the Memorial Golf Tournament. This was all new to me. I had no idea. Yeah, so if no one's super into golf, or even if you are super into golf, there is a local not kind of so local legend that a Native American chief who lived in the area named Chief Leatherlips cursed the Memorial Golf Tournament and every year it rains. Or snows. Or snows. (laughs) Or does some sort of precipitation that has caused it to be delayed 28 out of 48 years. Yeah. (laughs) I've never watched a golf tournament in my life. The one time that I've ever been golfing, which was in summer gym in high school, um, I, I'm not allowed to go back to that golf course. So learning about this was kind of interesting. And since golf is like so at the bottom of my list of favorite sports, I really enjoyed um, it. I need to know why you're not allowed to go back to the golf course, Andrea. Uh, um. Well, uh, <laughs> it, it turns out that my aim is fantastic if you want to hit three people smack between their eyes with a golf ball. <laughs> By accident. It's not like I did it on purpose. Um, I just, every time I actually connected with the golf ball, it hit somebody right between their eyeballs. I'm laughing, but I'm not much better. <laughs> so... And there's a saying in the horse world that a golf course is just a waste of good pasture. And I I will live and die by that. It really is. My father-in-law and my brother-in-law love golf. And I'm just like, I, I can watch it. I will tolerate watching it when they have it on. But like 220 acres, Andrea, do you know how many horses or how many like wheat fields or cornfields like... Oh my God, so much better use for space than that. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And it's, yeah. So the way that my brain took this was digging into some of the history of the Wyandotte tribe more than the golf tournament. But there's so much to this. 
and maybe it's because it's something I had never heard about before, but there was a lot of information taken in in a short period of time for this one on my end. I dove down like six rabbit holes. Like every time I opened a page in Wikipedia, I had to open like two more pages. It was ridiculous. Um, But the legend I grew up with, if I can remember it correctly, was something like Chief Leatherlips was killed by a bunch of white people and with his dying breath, like cursed the day he died, which happened to be the memorial tournament, the day the tournament is held. So that was the legend I grew up with. Apparently there are several variations on this legend, which include the golf green was over his grave or the his actual burial site is a couple miles down the road and the traffic and the noise and the chaos disturb him every year and he hates it. So he makes it rain. <laughs> and then I found a variation where the opening hole hole one is actually over where he was killed and though he's buried a few miles away his spirit still resides at the opening green or hole or however it's said and the amount of frivolous partying that goes on he's he's not down with that so There was also one I found that said the golf course was built over his hunting grounds, and he doesn't like the disrespect of that, so. Well, I guess we apparently agree with him on that one, so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why would you cut down all those trees for a golf course? Unless, yeah, I, anyway. (laughs) Anyway. But the truth, like so many of these that we've done, is so far from these legends, it's almost comical. Yeah, diving into this, I I knew that the legends were legends, but I wasn't sure how far off they were. And they're pretty far off from... Like, so far. Down to the point of, from what I heard or found and read in the legends, Chief Leatherlips was supposedly the reason that he's cursed the golf tournament, one of the main reasons is because of his deep hatred for for white folks. And in reality, he was one of the only tribal leaders that was pushing for peace between the white settlers and the Wyandotte tribes. So, I mean, it doesn't get much more opposite from the truth than than that. Mm Mm-mm. Chief Leatherlips, we will be calling him Chief Leatherlips. He went by a couple names during his life. The most common one is Shateyaronya, something like that. I don't know, I'm butchering that, but he did have several names. Um, we are going to call him Leatherlips because I don't feel like butchering the beauty that is the Native American language every time I talk. So, <laughs> yeah, and his names kind of change depending on. What he was known by changed with the seasons of his life. And one of the names that he was known later in life actually meant long gray hair, which I thought was... kind of adorable. Yeah, I thought that was a very uh, interesting way to pay a a respect to an elder. Mm Mm-hmm. But the name Leatherlips, they think, comes from the fact that the white settlers he interacted with 
gave him that name because he always told the truth. And when he said something, his word, his oral bond was stronger than leather. Yep. And some of that came because this Chief Leatherlips was part of the the party of natives and the leaders that signed the Treaty of Greenville, which encouraged cooperation from the tribes with white settlers. And he could be trusted. So he was born in 1732 and died in 1810. So that's 70-ish years old. That's not bad. I thought that was kind of interesting, especially... It seems like a lot oh, no, of that'd these... Be, that'd be like 80 years old. Sorry. Yeah. I math, I promise. It was 78, I believe, if my mathing is even semi-correct here. It, it seems like a lot of these natives that we've covered so far, they lived pretty close to what our modern-day lifespan tends to be. And sometimes even beyond that. Yeah. I mean, on the long side of what Healthy modern, living and yeah. healthy eating. So when I first dug into this, and I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm excited about this one. I love this kind of discovery. This is part of why I enjoy doing this podcast is learning new stuff and getting to it. Um, When I initially read about this legend, for some reason, especially since Chief Leatherlips, and he had a lot to do with the War of 1812 and how that went, even though he died before it began. And... I, for some reason, thought that he was much younger when he died. So finding out that he was later on in his years made it more interesting to me to do some digging into his his life. And yeah, I have no idea where I was going with that, but it just caught my interest. I did a lot of reading. Yeah. So we'll start with he was a chief. Um, he was a chief of the Wyandotte tribe, which... Wyandotte Elementary School for the win. Um, (laughs) The tribe was decimated uh, due to disease and a war with the five nations of the Iroquois, and they were forced from Georgian Bay, which is up by Lake Huron in Michigan, uh, to Ohio. Yeah. Where they settled. Um, I couldn't find a whole lot on his, like, early years, But the first major thing I have is, once again, I'm going to tell this basically in the way I discovered it. So we're going to start with the Treaty of Paris. All right. (laughs) So for those who don't know, because I am very bad at history, that is Kyle's forte and not mine. The Treaty of Paris basically ended the Revolutionary War um, and Great Britain... in that treaty ceded rights to areas in the Northwest, which included Ohio, areas south of the Great Lakes. So the problem was Great Britain, even though they ceded rights to areas, still held forts in Northern Ohio. Those forts allowed them to support policies and help Native Americans and stop westward expansion of the u.s yes which again believe it or not having just gone through the maritime museum in erie pennsylvania it centers around a lot with the war of 1812 but it also (laughs) we learned a lot about the history leading up to that war which started with the 
the Treaty of Paris. And then we come to the Land Ordinance of 1785. That basically was a paper that said U.S. citizens can settle any area that is within the continent, basically. Um, At that point, the Western Confederacy was formed. It was a bunch of Native American nations that said, "Mm, we don't recognize that as a thing because these are our lands and we weren't there to sign or okay or barter with. So no, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And the land that that included uh, basically was 10 separate states. So west of the Appalachians, north of the Ohio River, east of the Mississippi. So, wow. Kind of basically a huge middle chunk of the US. The heartland. So at this point you have Great Britain supporting native peoples, helping trying to help them retain their lands. By doing so they're going against the Treaty of Paris, stopping the progression of westward expansion by the US. US isn't having it, signs an ordinance stating the lands now ours. Everyone GTFO. Native Americans are saying, hold on, this is our land. We weren't told this was happening. You weren't, you know, you didn't ask for our opinions. We weren't there to sign it. We don't agree to this. A lot of battles were fought. A lot, like a war. Over all of this tension. Like a lot, a lot. And that culminated into the Battle of Fallen Timbers, which was August 20th, 1794. Which... I'm stretching my memory here because it's been a hot minute, but I believe that was a battle that Thomas Lyons took part in. Not only Thomas Lyons, but Mad Anthony Wayne. Yes, who was actually the one that gave Tom Lyons his white name of Tom Lyons. (laughs) Full circles. Yeah. Full circles. It's all coming together. We're eventually we're going to get to wrapping each of our seemingly random episodes into one giant narrative and it will be spectacular. We're going to have this Ohio thing down and then we're going to have to start to open up into new things and be like, oh my goodness, where are we right now? Yeah. So the Battle of Fallen Timbers. Yes. It was the final battle in the Northwest Indian War. Um, Basically the U.S. versus British allies in the Western Confederacy. Uh, and took place near the Maumee River, which is like northwestern Ohio-ish. U.S. won, so that's that's great. U.S. won, yay, go us, but also <laughs> don't go us. I, I am very conflicted about Native American history and all the things, bad things. But the loss at Fallen Timbers caused the signing of the Treaty of Greenville. So Chief Leatherlips fought in the Battle of Fallen Timbers for the Western Confederacy against the U.S. When they said, hey, we've got this treaty, Uh, we would like you to sign it, he and a bunch of other Native people, chiefs of Native tribes, came and signed it. The Treaty of Greenville was signed in 1795 between the U.S. and Indigenous nations of the Midwest. It redefined boundaries and territories between both groups, distinguished native territory that wasn't open for settlement in exchange for goods valuing to $20,000, which included blankets, utensils, domestic animals, in exchange for large parts of Ohio. We're talking like two-thirds of Ohio is what they gave up. Mm -hmm. 
And the unfortunate thing is that this treaty didn't stop settlers from going into Native American lands and territories and settling there anyway. Yeah, and it kept the tensions high between Native tribes and settlers because they obviously couldn't be trusted. Yes. Um, It established an annuity system where the government would send yearly grants and supplies to tribes. This ensured outside control over Native life and tribal affairs. And forts within the Native territories, which at the time were owned by Great Britain, were ceded to the U.S. Yeah. And so all of this led to, like you said, the settlers coming into the territories where it had been agreed that they would not go. And that pushed some of the Native people to come back into areas and territories that they had agreed to give up and it kept tensions very high so very very high while this agreement was being dishonored on both sides um it caused the emergence of native american leaders like tecumseh and his brother known as the prophet and they emerged into leadership roles in the early 1800s and mm-hmm. Tecumseh followed his brother's vision and created the confederacy against a confederacy against the United States which ended up leading to the war of 1812 yes but in the struggle leading up to that they blamed Tecumseh and his group blamed a lot of the hardships that the natives were facing at the time on the chiefs and leaders that signed the treaty of greenville so they blamed these these chiefs and leaders and at the time as this was coming up to the war of 1812 so we're talking getting close to 1810 a lot of those leaders were old enough that they had passed or they had died in battles chief leather lips was one of the last living signees of that particular treaty he continued throughout his later years to broker peace between the white settlers and native tribes he saw the writing on the wall that learning to live together was going to be the only way to the only way that the future was going to go one one people was not going to go away the natives were not going to go away and the white settlers were not going to go away so he he preached a lot of learn to get along and Mm -hmm. Tecumseh hated that. He had a deep hatred for what had happened to his people, and he blamed Leather Lips. So him and Chief Roundhead, and there's a handful of others, um, led to an execution party, a death squad. Yeah, so the reason behind the death squad that I could find that kind of makes sense was you have Tecumseh and his brother trying to start a mission to organize all the tribes into one nation so that they can beat the U.S. once and for all. You have a couple chiefs and holdouts who signed the Treaty of Greenville, including Chief Leatherlips, who were calling for cooperation. They were men of their word, they signed the treaty, there was no going back on that. The fact that such 
revered leaders and war heroes were against what Tecumseh and his brother were trying to do made it hard for them to convince the tribe next door to join their cause, let alone the tribe that's, you know, 50 miles away. Right. So in an attempt to end the hesitancy they were experiencing with the union they were trying to create, they accused Chief Leatherlips of selling native land to white settlers and of witchcraft. Because let's just throw witchcraft in. And not only witchcraft, but of being a witch doctor, which seems like it was an even harsher charge than witchcraft. It felt very, we have to charge him with something, let's charge him with witchcraft. Yes. So one of the things that to not forget is Chief Leatherlips was of the Wyandotte tribe. And within the Wyandotte tribe, there was three clans that lived in the Ohio area. So of the Wyandotte tribe, he was part of the Porcupine clan. Now Tecumseh and his brother, the prophet, were of the Shawnee tribe. So they were all getting along and of like-minded and had banded together with all of the wars and battles leading up to the Treaty of Greenville. And they continued to be on the same side and get along past that, but they were still of separate tribes and of separate generations. So in the timing of Leather Lips being in his late 60s, mid 70s, late 70s, Tecumseh is a young buck in his 20s or 30s coming up. He, he had not experienced a lot of the bloodshed of the battles coming into the, the Treaty of Greenville. He had grown up experiencing life with white settlers disregarding the treaty with his tribe, tribal brothers and friends and probably himself pushing out of their land and their agreed land and striking back at these settlers and skirmishes and battles and nothing was fair. So as Leatherlips is in his later years had been part of the battles and everything coming into the Treaty of Greenville, he had signed the Treaty of Greenville. He saw it as his job to continue to preach cooperation and peace and live by that. Tecumseh wanted war. And so he perpetrated that by, well, if these, if these older, if this older generation can't get out of the way, then we'll get them out of the way. And it was very, it was very interesting to me, the amount of pull, I guess is the right word, the amount of pull that accusations of being a witch doctor had. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure they, so when they say witchcraft, witch doctor, they, I found a source that said they blamed him for several recent calamities. Um, apparently there was a massive die-off of horses. There was some sort of bacteria virus plague that a bunch of natives were dying from for mm -hmm. unknown causes. It was probably because their immune systems weren't set up for whatever the white settlers were bringing in. Um, but they blamed Chief Leatherlips for basically everything bad that had happened 
to the tribe in the past couple years as him favoring the white settlers. So then on top of that, a very, (laughs) to make this even better, Chief Roundhead is the one that actually ordered Leather Lip's execution in 1810. And Roundhead was actually Leather Lip's brother. He was Leather Lips' brother. He fought alongside him at the Battle of Fallen Timbers and signed the Treaty of Greenville. So there was a lot of flip-flopping on his end. Yes. And so Roundhead sent six Wyandotte warriors to act as executioners and the death squad for his brother. The There was a pair of, of brothers that were white settlers, the Sells brothers, they owned the Black Horse Tavern in Dublin, or what is now Dublin, Ohio. Um, and Leatherlips was a regular there. They thought very highly of him, very highly of him. And so when John Sells heard that there was a squad, a, a death squad of Wyandotte warriors that had been sent for their good friend, he rode out to Leatherlips' camp to find him and warn him. And when he got there, he found Leather Lips tied with rawhide and a squad of six warriors explaining to him and holding a, quote, trial that charged him with witchcraft, witch doctoring, and he was charged with the death of a herd of horses that had become sick and died, that there was a group of Indians, of good Indians that Leather Lips had made sick, which made Leather Lips a bad Indian. And the entire trial lasted about three hours. Is That's all they gave him. <laughs> and that is when they made their decision. The Sells brothers and many other white settlers came out and pled mercy. They tried to bribe the death squad with horses, with food. It didn't work and he was sentenced to death on june 1st 1810 yeah and he accepted his his sentencing with dignity he dressed in his finest attire he sang his death chants and prayers and the six wyandotte warriors led him over to the shallow grave they had dug and he was executed by tomahawk and once he was dead, one of the executioners leaned down, touched his skin, declared it was sweaty, which meant he was guilty. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I know June isn't the warmest month, <laughs> but, yeah, but, I mean, come on. I feel like, I feel like that's kind of, oh, I have to clear my guilty conscience because I know this isn't right. And, you know, it's not like they had tied up a 78-year-old man for three hours in front of a fire and uh, read him the riot act and told him that he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. But he was buried where he died. There is a grave marker on the corner of Riverside Drive and Stratford Avenue in downtown Dublin that I think is privately owned land. I think descendants of the Sells brothers still own that land so his grave is very well taken care of um it is not to be confused with the giant monument like limestone sculpture of him down at Scioto Park yeah they're not the same thing not not even close um the actual burial site it was 
on private property and it was actually bought by descendants of the Sells brothers in the 1890s. And the monument at his grave was erected in 1889 by the Wyandotte Club to honor the, their chief. And after he was killed, this site, his burial site, became somewhat of a historical importance. Local settlers moved into the community and they very much um, were told of, of how Chief Leatherlips kept the community calm and quiet and peaceful. Um, they actually brought over a granite monument for his grave from Aberdeen, Scotland. And it is now in a cemetery on an acre of land known as Leatherlip Cemetery. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was cool that these settlers thought so much of him that they they imported a granite headstone from Scotland. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. That's impressive now, let alone when you had to sail over in a, a boat. So that is Chief Leatherlips and... Not so much about the memorial tournament because, I mean, he in and of himself is way too fascinating. And the memorial tournament's just kind of like, oh yeah, it's golf. Who cares? Yeah, um, the man himself is pretty cool. But um, that that sculpture in Scioto Park is kind of amazing. I've never taken you there, have I? No, and when I saw the pictures of it, I immediately thought of the Egyptian Sphinx sculpture. Um, it, it it kind of is reminiscent, yeah. In some ways, and it was installed in 1990, so fairly recently, you know, with our within our lifetime. Um, and apparently, it creates a really uh, enclosure um, mm-hmm. where you can view the river and the amphitheater and watch the sunset, and it's 12 feet high. And I mean, it's a huge thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on a hill. People climb on it. I don't know if you're allowed to. I haven't been there in a while. Um, but it's, it's, I'm going to say there's steps, like where the back of his head would be. There are steps leading up, and then you can look out over basically the front of his head down to the Scioto River, and there's an amphitheater and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'll have to take you the next time you come down. That would be awesome. I thought, yeah, it was, the pictures and everything were beautiful. But it was a fitting tribute to a pretty incredible person. Yeah, he did a lot. He did what he could to stop the U.S. from taking his native land. But as soon as he realized that basically that wasn't going to happen, he was like, we need to learn how to make peace and spent the rest of his life trying to make peace between native peoples and settlers and was murdered for it yeah right down to facing his own brother and calmly accepting the injustice of a trumped up execution Mm -hmm. and then as far as the curse of the memorial tournament it's it's ohio guys (laughs) it's june in ohio it was 80 over the weekend it is the second night of a row of a freeze warning. I had to bring my plants inside, okay? It is Ohio. It doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. So on Sunday, I got so sunburned, like, my shoulders are peeling, and I've been in sweatshirts for the last two days. Like, yeah. 
Now, it is interesting to me that during one of these tournaments, early tournaments in the 80s, it actually snowed in June. I thought that was kind of crazy. Once again, it was 80. There was a freeze warning tonight. Yeah, but this is April. Like, we're in April. That's understandable. Snow in June? We're talking another two months. Ugh. No, thank you. Yeah. So, now, my favorite story with the whole curse on the golfing tournament is... (laughs) um, In 1993, the tournament was delayed by rain for the fourth straight year. And... Out of 18 years at the time that the tournament had taken place, 11 years had been either delayed by rain or canceled because of the weather. And Jack yeah, Nicholas's it's, it's wife... dropped off a lot. Has it? It's dropped off a lot in recent years. But in those early years, it was every single year it rained. So <laughs> Jack Nicholas's wife, Barbara, decided that... Because they had obviously angered Chief Leather Lips, that she and Arnold Palmer's wife, Winnie, decided that they were going to the site in Murfield Village where the graves, the old cemetery, was, and they were going to leave a glass of gin <laughs> at the burial site of Chief, of Chief Leather Lips, and hoping that this would mollify the angry spirits. So I, I don't know why they thought this was a good idea, but... Because they were drunk, allegedly. Uh, yes. So late on a Thursday night during the summer of 1993, at the beginning of this tournament, as it's pouring rain, Barbara Nicholas and Winnie Palmer made trips on Thursday night and Friday night to the nearby cemetery and Chief Leatherlip's monument. And both times left a glass of gin. And as that story goes, apparently Jack even drove Barbara the one night and was very reluctant to take her. But it seemed to do nothing but make the rain even heavier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It just cracked me up. It was like, no, don't bring me alcohol, you stupid people. Fun stuff. Yeah. So what do we do next time? I think we are going to do the Sealy Rose House. <gasps> Ooh, that'll be fun. And I'm hoping... Does that mean we can, we can go trail riding? I'm hoping... Yes. So let's go trail ride and get some really cool pictures because it seems like um, when we ride up past the house on the road, there's always something that we see on there whether it's a tour group or whatever um and i have to do some some searching but i'm kind of hoping maybe we can take one of the the tours of the house Ooh, that'd be fun yeah so maybe we can do that before recording the next episode but i have you to know, check in like four weeks when we're both free <laughs> yeah yeah but you know we're fairly caught up right now and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but i think it'd be really cool Yes. And I will tell you, if we tour the big farmhouse without my mother, she will die. You know what? You guys went to Helltown, Ohio without me. I was like 12. (laughs) I didn't know you. (laughs) That's no excuse. (laughs) 
Oh, yes. Your mom's always welcome to come with us. Good. I know they do tractor She'll tours so at some point that include um, the Sealy Rose house and the cemetery where she and the family are buried. But we can also mm-hmm. ride past it. And I can also pick Sam's brain since she worked out there during high school for a while, too. Yes, please. So, yeah. All right. Until next time, leave us a like, a rate, a review. Tell your friends. Email us. Tell your friends. Yeah. All that good stuff. Let us know what topics you guys want to hear. And we are loving hearing from you guys. We've gotten a couple of really cool emails and messages to our Facebook page. And we're really enjoying the feedback. So please, please, please keep it up. Please, please, please. And we will see y'all next time. We will see you next time. This has been A&A Tall Tales, an independently written, recorded, and produced podcast. Our intro sounds are Crackling Fireplace by Julius H. and Nightwoods by Widget Studios. Our intro song is Harmonica Solo by Julius H. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.